0: Hi everyone, the reading is Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. In the, pu- the chair Bibles, in the small print, it's on page 147. And in the large print Bibles, it's on page 330. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors at St. Andrews, Roseville. And I understand you guys have been going through a series on transitions uh, because you guys are going through a period of transition from one rector to another. And we at St. Andrews have also recently gone through that transition as well. So it's good to sort of compare notes and more importantly to hear what God has to say about those things. Now, Stu Holman has been here for the last couple of weeks, and he's been showing you a couple of examples of transitions of leadership in the Bible. And today, we're going to see another transition of leadership in the Bible, and this time, of course, it's going to be transitioning from Moses to his protege, Joshua. And we'll see that in today's passage, God will say three things to us. First of all, he'll say, in your time of transition, don't worry, because I will continue with you. He'll also say, in your time of transition, I want you to keep moving forward, into the promised land. And lastly, he'll say, as you go into the promised land in this time of transition, I want you to grow inwardly a love for God and a love for his people. Right, so continue, forward, and also inward. Let's look at each of these in turn. Continue. Now, put up your hands if you remember this movie, uh, some of the yeah more mature of us. <laughs> um, I loved this movie when I was young. Uh, Charlton Heston, of course, is Moses, and the movie is The Ten Commandments, and off to the side there you see his little sidekick Joshua. So let's see what the Bible has to say in verses 1 through 2. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. The first thing that God says to Joshua and the people is, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, pretty simple sentence, half a verse, but these words are very weighty, aren't they? Because who is this guy Moses? See, Moses wasn't just any servant of God. God had thousands of servants. The whole nation of Israel was his servant. Moses was a leader of God's people. And not just any leader, a really special, great leader. You see, back long, long, long time ago, when Moses was born, He was born under very odd circumstances. The Pharaoh wanted to kill all of the Jewish boys that age. But Moses was saved by being put into a basket and into the river. So he was saved. When he grew up, he was picked up by the princess of Pharaoh and raised as a prince of Egypt. He had all the power, the education, the upbringing of a prince of Egypt. And there he was for a long time. But after a while, he got exiled. And he got exiled... And went into to, uh, to the land, and he actually was called by God to go back to Egypt to then deliver his people. But not just to deliver his people, say, "Oh, please, Pharaoh, let my people go," which he did. But God used Moses to do amazing things. God used Moses to um, bring about the ten plagues. Ten plagues, there you go. Now remember the ten plagues, there was, there was ten of them, but um, there was flies, there was gnats, the river turned to blood. Uh, of course, ultimately, the death of the firstborn in each household. God used Moses to bring down those plagues on his people. And when they finally left, what happened then was, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> he led them to a the Red Sea, and as he was crossing the Red Sea, God used Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea so if the Israelites could go through... And when they had gone through, God used Moses to close over the waters so that the pursuing Egyptian armies were killed. God used Moses to do that. And when, afterwards, God actually went, took them to a place called Sinai, a big mountain with fire at the top. People were scared to even approach God. And God called Moses up into Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments themselves, a way to live with God. God used Moses for that. And when the people finally got to the Jordan River and were about to cross into the promised land, and they said, no, wait, there's too many scary people there, 10 spies came back and said, we're not going to go. Two came back, Caleb and Joshua, said, yes, we can go with God's help. God made them, do, uh, God made them go into the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, God used Moses to, give, to keep these guys alive. He gave them quail from heaven, manna from heaven, water from a rock. He made sure their shoes and their, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. God did all those things through Moses. Moses was a, was a servant of God, yes, but a great servant of God, a leader of God's people, the way that God had rescued his people. And now, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, Moses is dead. How would Israel survive? How would they cope? How does the, how does the book of Joshua deal with this? Well, to be sure, in Deuteronomy, there's a lot made of Moses' death. But here in the book of Joshua, it says Moses my servant is dead now then continue on to promised land sounds a bit weird isn't it such a great man such a great leader has just died and god's the same now then move on but it kind of makes sense doesn't it because Moses was a great man he was a great leader but at the end of the day he was just a man he was a sinful man like you and me he was just a human being god used him to lead his people for a while But the true leader of Israel was always God himself, as Bruce reminded us already. The true leader of Israel was never Moses. He was just a tool in God's hands, a good one, a one that God loved. But ultimately, God used him. God was the true leader. And with God still being around and God being the true leader, now that Moses is dead, now then, move on. I'll give you a new leader, Joshua. But the true leader is always around. And so they didn't have to worry they could be confident about their future because their true leader was still with them. Now, that's true of them back then, and it's also true of us today. You see, we all are people who are on one level being led, we're followers, and on another level, we're leaders in our own rights, aren't we? We've been, we're, we're the ones who are led, And you guys have been led very ably by your rector who's now moved on and he's gone. And in St. Andrews, we also had a rector who moved on and now we've got a new one. And during all that time, God had used these men to bless us, to enrich us, to to care for us. And God did very good works through them. But at the end of the day, those were just men, just sinful men like you and me. The true leader of St. Peter's, the true leader of St. Andrews, has always been and will always be God. And God continues with us, So we too can be confident that whoever he puts in front of us next, he'll still be him who leads. And because he's leading, we can face the future with confidence, with trust in God. We don't have to worry as people are led. Now some of us, nearly all of us in some capacity are leaders ourselves. We lead our families, we might lead things at church, we might lead things in our community groups, at our schools. We we lead various things and sometimes we think we're really important we leaders, my family needs me, my church needs me, my school needs me, my... and we sort of think it's up to us to make things work. And this thing is also a good reminder that God uses us, sinful human beings, to lead and care for his people in various capacities, but at the end of the day, it's God who is the ultimate leader of all of these groups, Christian or non-Christian alike. He's the God of everything. And it's our job to point people to God in our capacities. About 25 years ago, I was... Uh, looking after a youth group in my church, and uh, we had about 180 youth or so, maybe 200 on a good night, and um, uh, we, we sort of we, we led these youth group, and and, uh, and I got an offer to uh, go and work and study. I got an offer to study at Harvard and to uh, to work in investment banking in uh, in Boston, and I was like, oh, I really want to do this because that's the kind of thing that you know, what a great opportunity! I want to go, but then I sort of thought I felt a bit of a, a tug because. Well, I'm going to have to leave my youth group, and you know, I'm, I'm responsible here. You know, so many things depend on me. If I go, what will happen to the youth group? And so I went off and talked to a pastor from another church, uh, just to sort of keep it on the lowdown. And I said to this guy, you know, I've got this, I've got this dilemma. I've got this great opportunity in Boston, but I was like doing so much stuff in youth group. What can I do? And he just looked at me and said, Who do you think you are? Jesus? And I thought, Oh, you're very pastoral, aren't you? <laughs> but he had a point, didn't he? You see, sure, God used me to do various things in this youth group, and it was, it was a sort of important role. But at the end of the day, I wasn't the youth group leader. God was the youth group leader. And if I went, would it really matter? God used me in the past? God would use somebody else next? God was always one in charge, and so therefore I could go. And I did go. And in fact, I went. Three years later, came back. Youth group was better without me. So, <laughs> so it just turns out, always trust God, never trust a human being. So whether we're the leader and we feel indispensable, well, we're not. God's in charge whether we feel that we're the one's being led and somehow we feel a vacuum because our leaders have left. Don't, because the leader is God and he'll always be with us. We can take com- confidence in that at St. Andrew's and also here at St. Peter's as well. That's the first thing. The second thing is he says to um, Joshua, <clears throat> I want you to continue with me, but I want you to move forward into the promised land. And we'll see this in verses 3 two to 6. In verse 3 it says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. Your territory will extend to the desert, to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates or the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You see, God says to Joshua, what I want you to do now is I want you to go forward, forward into the promised land. Now to understand that, we have to remember a long, long time ago, God made a promise to a guy called Abram or Abraham later on. And he promised Abraham three things. He said, I'll make you, your people many. I'll make you the blessing of the world. the world. I'll bless the world through you. And also, I will give you a land. And so Abraham's family was sort of heading towards this land and they hit a bit of a pit stop. Uh, they, they got stuck in Egypt for 400 years being slaves. And finally God raised up Moses to bring them out of Egypt towards the promised land in Canaan. Now the Canaan was going to be fantastic, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be where God's people could find their own country, their own land, and worship God and honour God. But things didn't really turn out that way, did they? I mean, from our knowledge of the rest of the Bible, we know that when they'd gone to, to the, the, the promised land, it was okay, but it wasn't perfect. And they were supposed to wipe out the other nations, but they didn't do it. And the Israelites themselves started disobeying God, and the Israelites themselves started to, to worship the gods of the other people of the land, and they themselves weren't perfect, the land wasn't perfect, and the whole thing sort of fell apart. It got a bit better towards the kings, but then afterwards they even got exiled from the land itself. And that was the journey of deliverance from Egypt to Canaan, it was good, but it wasn't perfect because the land wasn't perfect and the Israelites weren't perfect themselves. But that's okay because in the Bible scheme of things, this is just a shadow of a true journey, of a true deliverance to come to God's people. You see, the true journey that it reflects is actually the, the all Christians' journeys from this earth to our promised land, heaven, and heaven will be perfect and we will be perfect when we get there. They were to go through, to go to this land with swords and shields and, I guess today, guns and bombs and tanks, and occupy the land. That's not our mission. Our mission is to go to heaven, but on the way there, take as many people as we can with us. We have to be unleashed for this mission. That's the heartbeat of a church, to go to the promised land and bring people with us. We're all familiar that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We had to go to heaven, but make disciples on the way there. Now, there's a story, Madagascar, I don't know, who's actually watched this movie? Yeah, quite a few of you? Okay, I have to admit that I have not even yet watched it, but my kids tell me about it, and also um, tell me about the story, and also I've read the Wikipedia uh, synopsis, so <laughs> I, know what, I know what I'm talking about, trust me. Uh, in, this, in this Madagascar story, uh, there's these animals from Africa, and they're actually in a zoo in New York City and, and they, they're there and it's really good in this zoo right? they're, they're there they get three square meals a day they don't have to worry about the predators uh, little kids come and you know, take selfies with them in the background uh, it's wonderful there it's safe but then one day the zebra realises wait a minute this is nice but it's not what we were made for we are, we are wild animals we need to be out in the wild we need to be going to, to places which are dangerous so we have to fend for our lives and, and find our own food we were, we're in a cage but we're made to be unleashed to be in the wild. And this is kind of a little like the church, isn't it? See, we're like that. We come to church on a Sunday, and we have a nice little cage. It's got lights. It's got comfortable chairs. Your chairs are more comfortable than ours, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And we come here, and we've got a little PowerPoint presentation. Someone leads us to sing. Someone gives a talk. And it's kind of nice. And these things are important. These things are good. We should do that. We need to read the Bible, and need to worship God. But that's not all we were made for. We were born to be wild. We are born to be unleashed. We're supposed to go into Canaan, go into promised land and taking people with us, not just stuck in our nice little cages all the time. There's a, there's a book that all the leaders that St. Andrews have been reading. It's called um, Letters to Churches. And inside this, a pastor called Alan Hirsch says, in so many churches, the mission of a church has actually become the maintenance of the institution itself. Ouch. He's saying that in his church, and in many of ours, we make rosters, we prepare morning tea, we prepare talks, we practice music this week so that we can come back next week and prepare rosters, make morning tea, hear a talk, practice some music so that we can come back next week and prepare rosters, do morning tea, listen, and on and on and on. We've just come to do that one thing, and we've forgotten that we're unleashed to go to... Heaven, and bring people with us. He says sometimes we even uh, make uh, our cages look like the wild, like in Madagascar, but we're really not there. You see, sometimes we have mission spots, don't we? And they're really good, right? in Mission spots. We hear about how our friends have gone to Africa and West China and um, the western suburbs of Sydney, even, and they're going out there doing this great work of being unleashed, of bringing people to heaven with them. And because it's on our screens, we kind of feel that we're there. We think, oh wow, so good, we're a part of the action. But are we a part of the action? Now I'm not saying mission spots are bad, we need to have these, these mission spots, we need to hear about what they're doing, if nothing else to encourage us, if nothing else that we can give to them financially and support them, that we can pray for them. These things are good, but if it just lulls us into a sense that we're out there in the wild, being unleashed to bring people to heaven, when in fact we're not, then that's a problem, isn't it? You see, they're out there doing this fantastic work, which also means they're not here in Linfield, they're not here in Roseville, they're not here on the North Shore. And it should be okay, because we're here on the North Shore. But it's only okay if while they're doing their work out there, we're doing our work here, being unleashed for God to bring people to heaven with us as we go. The real question is, are we? Another pastor called Francis Chan in the same book says this, Church, the answer is not to build a bigger and nicer cages, nor is it to renovate the cage to look more like the wild. It is time to open the cage, remind the animals of their God-given instincts and capabilities and release them into the world. To go to the promised land, to go to heaven and bring people with us. Now, God is actually doing this right now as we speak. In the same book, we hear some crazy statistics come out. In East Asia, actually in a province of China, they had a three-year plan with a whole bunch of churches to plant 200 churches. They had a three-year plan to do that. They planted 360 churches in just six months. They need a new plan. That's happening in West China. In Latin America, during the persecution of the churches, of Christians, they grew from 235 churches to 4,000 in that same time of persecution in Latin America. God is unleashing his people. They're going out. In India, and I read this line like 10 times, in 2001, they planted a new church every 24 hours. Now, we know the Japanese can build a McDonald's in 24 hours, but these Indians were building a church every, planting a church every 24 hours. Now, even if that statistic is wrong, even if they built every second day, that is still crazy. God is actually moving, unleashing his people, bringing people to heaven with them as they go. Now, I know some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, you know, that stuff is for these sort of unreached kind of parts of the world, uh, sort of more exotic locations. Oh, no, let, let's think again, because there's a guy called Tim Keller who's in New York City, and he noticed that in New York City in, 2000 and, uh, so in 1989, there was 1% of the people who lived in New York City were a part of a gospel-centred church. By the grace of God, by the work of Redeemer Presbyterian Church and many other churches like them, this number got raised to 5% in 2016. of New York City now goes to a Bible-believing church. And if this continues to grow, as God wills, in 2026, 15% of New York City will go to a Bible-believing, gospel-centred church. 15%. And the demographers call this a tipping point. Once you have 15% of a population, society starts listening to you. You start to move the agenda of a city. So can you imagine New York City, a place that is sort of being tipped over by these Christians, They start being compassionate towards each other. They start being honest. They start being uh, real. This can be a real blessing to New York City. See, it's not just in those exotic parts of town. It's actually in cities just like ours, like Sydney. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, that's New York. That's still very far away. Well, let me tell you about Chatswood. There's two suburbs over in that direction. In the last four years, God has been doing stuff, and there's been four churches, at least, that I know of that have been planted in Chatswood, A church called Mosaic, a church called Grace City Church, another one called The Chapel, and one called Redeemer City Church, which I helped set up when I was with um, another church. See, God's moving just next door in Chatswood, a little mini city of Chatswood. God's doing his work, unleashing his people, bringing people to heaven with them as they go. Now, just in case you're thinking it's all outside these walls, it's not. Because as you all know, the last couple of years we had the hub, which St Andrews and St Peter's were a part of, And we had five churches come together and we had 200 kids attend last year and more this year, by the grace of God, of which 80 last year had never been to church before. God's using us to be a part of this movement. And also some people from St. Peter's and also St. Andrew's um, in the youth area, they went and did United last year. 13 churches got together, 686 youth went to the concourse to hear about God, of which 200 of them had never been to church before. See, God is actually even moving in our midst. So praise God for that. The only question for us is, as adults, will we be a part of this as a church and also as individuals? Will we go where our kids and our youth have already gone? Will we go where our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, all around Sydney, have gone? See, God is bringing his people to heaven and bringing people along with them. Will we be a part of this movement? Will we go forward with God even at a time of transition? Okay, lastly, he's going to be with them moving forward. He now asks them to grow inwardly as they move forward. Let's read about this in verse 7 through 9. It says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. He says to the people of Israel, when you go into the promised land, don't just be like any other country. Don't become like the people of the land but meditate on my law daily. Obey my law every single letter of it so you don't become like those guys you've conquered. So you don't become just another occupying army. Stick with me. Grow inwardly to be more like your God. People who love God, who love the people around them. That's the call for them. And it's also the call for us as well. You see, as Christians, we might be doing a lot of stuff, a lot of ministry, a lot of work for God, but sometimes, it happens to me as well, we forget God, don't we, in the midst of our busyness for church. We do all this stuff for God, and we haven't prayed, we haven't read the Bible, we haven't spent some time with God for a while. And the call is, don't be like that. Yes, do all this great work for God, but make sure you're connected with God. Make sure you're spending time with Him, growing as a Christian. You see, we know that babies grow, don't we? Just cast your minds back, some of you not that, recently, not that far away, to when you had your baby or when you had your grandchild. Right? You have a baby and you take it home and you know, it's, you know, it comes out three kilograms or so. You know, and let's be honest, newborns aren't that cute. We all say they're cute, but actually not. They, they get cute about one month's time. But we a three-month-old baby, we take them home and we want them to pack on the pounds, don't we? We want to stack the weight on. It'd be really weird if your baby was still three kilograms in like a month's time. In fact, you'd be very worried. If, it was, if your baby was still three kilograms when you are six months down, it's time to see a doctor. We want the baby to grow and put on weight and to grow. We want our kids to go to school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, all the way to sixth grade. We want our high schools to go from seven, year seven, year eight, year nine, year 12. We want our guys to go to university and go uh, first year, second year, third year, fourth year, 50, year, fifth year, 60, year, if you do medicine. Uh, we don't want to go first year, second year, change degree, first year, second year, change degree. As a lot of them are doing, but let me assure you, they do actually graduate at some point. Uh, we want them to grow. And we start our jobs as apprentices or graduates and we sort of work our way up the food chain, generally speaking, not always, but we we expect them to grow. Now here's the thing. What about our Christian life? In every other area of life we expect growth. What about our Christian life? Some of us, we've been at church for four months, four years, 14 years, 40 years. Have we been growing in that time? Do we know God's Lord? Do we know the Bible better than we did 40 years ago? Do we know, are we fighting sin? Are we growing in the, the good things of the Holy Spirit more than 40 years ago? Are we just a little bit more like Jesus today than we were at the beginning of this year, in January? Are we growing? You see, we expect in every other realm of life for us to grow. Why not in our walk with God? You see, Colossians tells us, just then, just that, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live with your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. As Christians, we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, we become Christians, and we grow, we continue with Christ Jesus as Lord. But it's not a flat line. We grow upwards, right? We are rooted in Him, we're built up in Him, we're strengthened in the faith, and we're overflowing with thankfulness. The trajectory for a Christian is to believe Jesus and then to grow in Him more and more like Jesus. Not just a plateau until we die. So the question for us is, are we actually growing? But it's not just individual growth that God's concerned about. God's actually concerned that we grow as a team, as a church, as a community. Um, I don't know how much World Cup rugby you guys watched. Um, I watched a lot <laughs> during that time. I was pretty much stuck on my computer and um, was watching this thing. And when you look at a, the rugby teams, or depending which one I guess, uh, it's not like half a team is playing and the other half is just sitting there with a Gatorade and just you know, taking a sip. <laughs> right? They're all playing, aren't they? And in my home even, everyone plays. Right? So I've got three young kids, a nine-year-old girl, a seven-year-old boy, and a three-year-old girl. And our mantra in our house is, use something, put it back. Use something, put it back. Use something, put it back. And everyone has to do it, even the three-year-old. And the idea is that the house doesn't end up as a big mess. And so now, in fact, my wife has instituted this new thing where uh, after school, they can be do- they've done their homework and they're doing some stuff and then she'll shout out, Blitz! And when she shouts out, Blitz, they have to actually pack up the stuff that's in front of them so the house kind of looks semi-okay. And so everyone pulls their own weight. And I'm sure that's the case with teenagers and then young adults, the whole lot. Everyone pulls their own weight in your home, right? Now, we see that on a sporting field. We see that in our, in our homes. Why don't we expect that in a church? You see, we come here... And we're supposed to all be pulling our weight, all be playing on the team together so that we can all grow to be more like Christ. You see, in Ephesians 4, it says this, So Christ himself gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to do all the work? No. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. You see, our leaders are here to equip us so that we can do the work, and the work we do is to help each other grow to be more like Christ. And as we all become more like Christ, we find unity. We become one. So it's not just the work of the leaders. It's all of us to do the work. They're supposed to equip us, but we're supposed to be doing the work. Just like on the rugby team, just like... And my home, during pack-up time, we all do the work together. True of rugby, true of home, true of church. We're all supposed to grow together. Okay, and lastly, um, in this book, this, this pastor, Chan, says, you know, you send a kid to Harvard for four years, you expect him to be some sort of CEO in a, you know, 10 years or 20 years' time, right? And we, we same thing for, for us, right? We send our kids to uni, uh, to, to Harvard, to Cambridge, to Club Mac over there, beautiful Club Mac, Macquarie University, And we expect them to come out and we expect them to get a job and to get some sort of position of responsibility. We don't expect them to come out and sort of flip burgers for the rest of their lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with flipping burgers. You just don't need a degree to do it. We sort of expect them to take ownership of their lives, their careers, and to sort of give back to society. Now, that's true of our our youth and our young adults. It's also true of us as well. As we come to church for longer, 4 years, 14 years, 40 years, then we should be taking up more and more responsibility in our own church family, shouldn't we? Now, I'm not saying we all have to stand up here and give a talk, and we all have to organise the process. We all have different gifts from God. But we should be ones praying more for each other. We should be taking more ownership. We should be wanting to see people come to Jesus, grow. And whichever gifts God has given us, we should be using those things, taking responsibility for those things, so that the family grows, and so that the world is reached. That's true of... Our youth, our young adults, it should also be true of us as well, shouldn't it? See, God wants them to grow inwardly with him. And that's individually, as a team, and also with each other serving and loving each other. Okay. Now I know as I've been speaking, some of you've been sitting there, and, oh my gosh, so much work, so much work, so much to change in my life, so much to change in my church. Yeah, and if you're feeling tired, just listening to this stuff. And don't worry, I feel tired just I had to prepare this talk, right? I was feeling tired. <laughs> But the amazing thing about this, of course, is the strength doesn't come from these Israelites. You see, these are, these are nomads at, the point, at this point. They're wandering under wilderness, and they're about to attack fortified cities with economies, with research and development areas to get better shields and better swords, with irrigation, the whole lot. These guys aren't going to win. They're going to lose. They're going to get in there and get smashed. But God says, don't worry. Go into the promised land. You'll be okay. Why? Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. They're not going to win because of their effort or their talent or their skill or their passion. They're going to win because God's with them. And centuries later, a guy that you might have heard of, Jesus, he said these words, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're supposed to be doing all these fantastic works as well, but our power source isn't ourselves, isn't our talents, isn't our gifts, our passions. Our power source is Jesus himself. You see, I have a branch here. It's a pretty sad-looking branch. Don't tell my wife I just cut off the tree this morning. (laughs) What's wrong with this branch? Well, it's dead, right? It's it's off the tree. It's not connected to a tree anymore. And And do you think we could actually make this thing bear fruit? I'm looking around this room. I'm thinking, yeah, there's some pretty clever people in here. If we put our mind to it, I'm sure we could make this branch bear fruit, couldn't we? Well, of course not. (laughs) Even if we study for the next hour, even if we study for the next week, this thing will never bear fruit because it's not connected to a tree. Now I understand this, Frangipane. Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) But let's just say we thought, well, you know what? Let's um, let's let's attach a fruit to it. Yeah, there you go. This we're going to bear fruit, so we're going to attach a fruit to it, and it's pretty good looks like we're bearing fruit, but you know, when the wind changes, oh gosh, boom, there you go. It proves it to be fake fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're not connected to the tree, you can never bear fruit. It can be fake fruit. You might look religious. You might look like a moral person, but at the end of the day, it's just fake fruit, and sooner or later, it will be shown up for what it is, fake fruit. And so his encouragement to us is always, in our walk with him forward, always keep him Growing, growing him inside us inwardly as well. Don't be bearing fake fruit. Be bearing real fruit. You see, these guys had a guy, had a leader called Joshua. They'd just lost Moses. He got a new leader called Joshua, whose name means Yahweh saves, and he was going to take them forward into the promised land and help them to grow inwardly with God. But the promised land wasn't perfect, and neither were they. Centuries later, we have a guy, a leader called Jesus, and his name means Yahweh saves. And he's going, calling us to our own promised land, heaven. And he's asking us to bring people with us as we go and also while we're doing this to stay connected to him as a vine. Will we do this as individuals? Will we do this as a church? Will do this as a family of churches across the North Shore go through transitions knowing that God is our leader, move forward with him and grow with him individually as well? My prayer is that it will happen at St Peter's, that it will happen at St Andrew's and every other church across Sydney in the world. Amen.